Mark chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 30. No, we won't. We'll turn over the page, uh, and we will move a little bit further down. Verse 45, I'm sorry. Verse 45. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling in rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come up out of the ship, straightway they knew him. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. I think I read a couple more verses than I intended to there. I had uh, misplaced my uh, my my reading texts. Okay, we've been thinking uh, recently of the miraculous power of the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby he healed the sick, he fed the hungry, he delivered the possessed, he quelled the waves and stilled the wind, he raised the dead. And today we're going to add to uh, that amazing list that the Lord Jesus Christ also walked on water. He walked upon the sea. These miracles that we have been considering together, they demonstrated, they proved the power of Jesus of Nazareth. They showed him to be who he really was. They established his identity. They, they, they spoke and undergirded the authority that he had. And undoubtedly, they gained him an audience. They gained him a hearing amongst the people because he did these 
miracles, because he performed these wonders, the people rallied to him, gathered to him, ran out of the cities and out of the towns and villages and came and presented themselves before him and he was able uh, to teach. But we would be wrong to imagine that the Lord in performing these miracles was motivated in gaining an audience or in some way establishing his, uh, his personality or, or, or raising his profile, getting him a reputation. And in many ways, the opposite actually is true. It almost seems as if the Lord realised that these miracles would be easily misunderstood and misapplied by the people that they were performed before. And, And that is true here in this miracle that we have before us today, or at least in what was happening before us. Having fed these 5,000 men plus perhaps women and children, so maybe as many as 10,000 people, but having fed the 5,000, we discover that something stirred amongst that group of people. They were so amazed at the miracle that they saw happening They were so amazed that the Lord from from these five loaves and two fishes had fed the multitude and gathered in twelve baskets of remnants afterwards that they were immediately motivated to make this man their king. They wanted to make Jesus their king. And we we read in in John chapter 6 and verse 14 and verses following. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, that is the feeding of the 5,000, said, this is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. Remember that, note that. They recognised that this was the one of whom Moses had spoken. This was the one that the prophets were identifying in the Old Testament scriptures. They said, of a truth, this man is the one. This is the Messiah. This is that prophet that would come. And they decided that they would take him by force. Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him king. And so he departed into a mountain himself alone. Now this is very interesting, I think, because it helps us understand what was transpiring here in this miracle. These people understood something about the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the amazing miracle that he had performed. But they were looking for the wrong Messiah. There was this anticipation, there was this uh, desire that they would 
experience that, that, that they would find the Messiah. That there was in the society at that time this great belief that the Messiah was imminent. John the Baptist had come. There had been a religious movement. And now this man, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was saying amazing things, was performing amazing miracles, and they believed that this was the one. But they were looking for the wrong Messiah. They wanted a Messiah that would fit their mould, their ambitions. They were looking for a Messiah that would establish their Jewish kingdom. That great Davidic reign of a previous age. And like many people today that look for a wrong Jesus, they endeavour to fit Jesus into their mould. And to fulfill their own ideas of what religion should be and what indeed religion is. These people wanted to make Jesus king. And many, many people today say they want to make Jesus their king. But Jesus had to separate from them because they wanted to make him a king after their own image and according to their own standards. And that's where religion is for so many people even today. Often, when it came to the miracles, the Lord instructed those who benefited from those miracles not to tell anyone what had happened, not to say who had healed them. And indeed, he performed many of his miracles only for a few people. Often it was just his disciples. And that reminds us surely that these miracles were geared to teaching and preparing his disciples for their apostolic ministry rather than for impressing the crowds. That's not what they were for. They were signs and they were wonders. But they signified something deeper, something more important. The crowds found them wonderful, but they didn't understand the significance. That was restricted for the disciples and for the followers of the Lord and for his church to read and understand and grasp down through the ages. These were not tricks to impress men and women of his age. They were an in-training experience to equip the disciples who would become the apostles, who would represent the Lord Jesus Christ, who would carry the gospel to the ends of the earth and who would lay down the foundation of the New Testament church. Have you ever wondered why it took the Lord Jesus Christ three years from the beginning of his ministry until he went to the cross? Why did it take so long? Why did the Lord just not be revealed and then be crucified? The, the transaction of the cross, the, the shedding of the blood 
the significance of the sacrifice, the suretyship and substitution for his people. That was towards his father, not anything to do with the people. But the reason for those three years was because that was the length of time that it took for the disciples to go through this apprenticeship. That was what the disciples needed in order to learn the gospel at the lips and uh, by the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through this prism, I hope we've been understanding something about the significance both of the parables and the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we can see something of this miracle also today, the miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ walking on water. And I've noted three things that I want uh, to, to, to draw to your attention uh, from this amazing and, and indeed we would have to confess surprising Incident. I mean, walking on water for the for the good of the disciples to to to, to see and to observe. What what was that about? It it wasn't done for the crowds. It was done for the disciples. What was he showing them? What did it signify? I want us to take three things from 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 this. Not all together to, due to the to, to the walking on the water. But the first thing is this: I want us to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ took time alone with His Father, which was the reason for the fact that the Lord was separated from His disciples. I want us to notice that the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching His disciples that the kingdom of God is spiritual and not temporal. And I want us to note the disciples' continuing dullness and slowness in grasping the identity of the Lord Jesus. So these are the three things that I just want to touch upon lightly and move through these verses before us. So the first one is this, that Jesus took time alone with his Father. I, I cannot but imagine that the disciples were somewhat surprised when the Lord sent them away on their own. They may even have been a little bit annoyed. He remained with that huge number of people and he sent the disciples in their boat back across the lake by themselves. It does not appear to have given them any explanation as to why, simply that he was going to dismiss the crowd and then he was going to pray. Perhaps the Lord did this for the protection of the disciples, perceiving as he did that the crowd were contemplating making him king. The Lord realised that he had to diffuse what could have become a dangerous situation if indeed the crowd had tried to make him their king by force, which seems to be implied by John's account in John chapter 6. So he was perhaps protecting his disciples by this action. But Mark tells us that then, having dismissed the crowd, the Lord departed into a mountain to pray. And here the Lord was alone with his father. I don't know what he prayed, we're, we're not told. 
But it seems clear that the Lord treasured these rare occasions when he and his father communed together. When the pleasure of the father rested upon the son. Some prayers of the Lord. We are given the the words, the content, the text, but not here. And I would suggest that that probably means that the disciples did not even know what transpired between the father and the son, at least on this occasion when the Lord had gone into the mountain to pray. But it was sufficient for them to know that he did. It was sufficient for them to, as it were, see him go into the mountain alone to pray for his father. And surely that is the lesson that they were given here by the Lord. That the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to his father, taught them and teaches us by word and example to do the same. The Lord Jesus Christ opened his heart to his father. And the disciples marked that fact for their own lives and for their own ministry hereafter. Let us learn the lesson of this too. It's not simply what the Lord Jesus Christ taught them in his doctrine. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ showed them in his actions. Our faith isn't just a doctrinal confession, but it is a living relationship with God. With God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We should speak to the Lord as we speak to a friend. The Lord Jesus Christ went alone and he prayed to his Father. We should come to God as we would come to our Father, which art in heaven. And when our mind runs to the challenges of our everyday life's experience, when when we come to face our fears and our trials and our temptations, that's no time for formal prayers. It's a time for us to be leaning upon the Lord, pleading for his help, asking for his assistance in, in a very urgent, in a very earnest way, as we would a friend. The scripture gives us our doctrine and we love and we value what the Lord has revealed, but it's as a means to the end of illuminating our way in this world. Our understanding of doctrine, our understanding of scripture is like the lights on a dark night that lead us along the road of our pilgrimage, that consolidate our understanding, that strengthen us in our relationship with God. Our big 
systematic theologies that, that, that we might have and, and we might read and refer to from time to time to get those, those, those nodules of doctrinal truth. They're only useful, those systematic theologies, if by standing on them we are inched closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know about the nature of God. I want you to know about the nature of man. I want you and I both to understand something of the representative work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the covenant of grace and peace. These are beautiful, beautiful doctrines. These are the, 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 the pillars upon which our faith is built. But they must inform our fellowship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit because doctrine doesn't save us. It's God who saves us. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us. It's the Father who loves us. And Christ who loves us. We delight to spend time alone and communing and contemplating the ones that we love here upon earth. And that relationship is to be as clearly understood between God and his people. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching us here. And having said, as I've just done, that we do not know what the Lord prayed, I might hazard a guess that he was praying to his father for his disciples and for his other sheep and that he prayed for you and for me, the other sheep that he had that were not of this fold. Think on that. Think on that. In our troubles, we ask sometimes and we appreciate the prayers of our friends on our behalf. But the Lord Jesus Christ has already prayed for you and me. He has already interceded with his Father on our behalf and he is interceding still for us in heaven with his Father. For our good. So here is a lesson for us in the first instance here that the Lord Jesus Christ spent time alone with his Father, and we should learn to nurture that relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through those personal times of praying and intercession with our God as the, the Lord Jesus Christ provided as a pattern. Second thing I want to draw your attention to was the fact that the kingdom of God is spiritual because surely this was a lesson too that the Lord was teaching his disciples. Had the Lord Jesus Christ wished to establish a kingdom on earth, if he'd wanted to set up a throne there in, uh, in, in Galilee or, or, or in Israel at that time, if, if he had wanted to depose Herod and challenge Rome. Well, this was his moment. 
This was the opportunity. 5,000 men could light a fire that would blaze through the whole land. But that's not the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus Christ says that the kingdom of God is not an external kingdom. It's not a worldly kingdom. It's not a kingdom of, of power and force and military might. The kingdom of God is within you. And the disciples were struggling to grasp this. Indeed, even up to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, some three years after he began his ministry with these men, their notions of an earthly kingdom with an earthly king still proved hard to shake. And that was their hardness of heart that Mark refers to here. They saw the power in the Lord Jesus Christ. They recognised him to be Christ, as indeed did the 5,000 whom he fed with the loaves and the fishes. They believed that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Son of God. They confessed it to be so. They saw that this was God on earth, but they still limited their views to the Jewish people. They still perceived the kingdom in terms of David's restored throne and Israel's ascendant empire. We build no kingdom on earth, but we do preach forgiveness by the blood of Jesus Christ and we preach a personal relationship with God a kingdom that is being gathered by the preaching of the gospel and the bringing in of the Lord's sheep into his fold that was the lesson the disciples here on the sea of Galilee that night they rode against the prevailing wind. It appears that they rode all night and they had only made 25 or 30 furlongs. A few hundred yards. They had rode all night and made little headway because they were relying upon their physical strength and soon their power was sapped. That lesson there is that we are not fighting against physical opponents, but against spiritual opponents. Remember that these men had just returned from their own introduction to preaching and healing, and they were flushed with success. That's what had taken them out into the wilderness in the first instance where the 5,000 followed and, and subsequently were fed. So we're only talking about the same day. But this feeding of the 5,000 and the subsequent walking upon the water with, of, of the Lord, it was opening their view to a wider, broader, worldwide ministry that was yet not clear to, to the understanding of these men. This kingdom of God, it wouldn't just dominate Galilee or Israel or the Jewish people. It would stretch from sea to sea, from country to country, from continent 
to continent. Not by physical power, not by the, 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 the strength and the energy of these 12 men rowing as it were against the wind. Not by political might or by uh, a military power, but in the hearts of men and women. The Lord Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is within you. It's an internal thing. It's a spiritual creation. It's a soul experience. It's new life joined together with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ walking upon the water to the comfort and protection and deliverance of his people teaches us that his word and his presence reaches his people and enters into their hearts, enters into their experience beyond natural ability, beyond natural expectation. Furthermore, the immediate arrival of the disciples' ship at its destination, despite the fact that they had only rowed uh, 20 or 30 furlongs, the immediate arrival of the ship at the destination upon Christ entering the ship again was a miracle in its own right and it surely taught the disciples as it should teach us not to look to ourselves to gain the destination but to look to God the Holy Spirit for the building of that kingdom to look to Christ not to lean in our own strength not to lean on our own understanding. Beautiful little verse in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. It says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Not by might, not by, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So the Lord taught his disciples and he teaches us with them the value of communion with God in prayer and the Lord taught his disciples and us with them that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom a worldwide kingdom that is enacted by God the Holy Spirit applying the blessings and the benefits and the gifts of God's grace through the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ and thirdly and here's our final point here today Verse 48, we're told that he cometh unto them walking upon the water and he would have passed by them. That's interesting. That's an interesting comment from Mark. He says that the Lord Jesus Christ cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. I wonder what that means. Well, that's, here's what I take it to mean. I take it to mean that the Lord was moving faster than the ship. Despite, despite the energies of these men, despite all of their pulling on those oars or all of their efforts, because the wind was contrary, they didn't have a sail up, um, they were rowing. But despite all of their efforts, this figure that was walking towards them on the sea was coming towards them faster than they could get out of the road. 
the figure appeared out of the semi-darkness and it was gaining on them quickly. And they were afraid. They were afraid because immediately their minds ran to it being a ghost or a spirit or a demon pursuing them on the water and they couldn't escape out of its grasp because it was gaining on them. You can almost begin to sense the build-up of anxiety in the hearts of these people as they saw that figure and realised that it was gaining on them and it drew from them a cry of fear. In that moment of confusion, in that moment of anxiety, they cried out in fear, they cried for help. And at the moment that they cried, the Lord answered their cry. At once, we're told, the Lord spoke to reassure his disciples. They misunderstood what they saw with their eyes, but they heard the Lord's voice with their ears. And what did he say? He said, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. What are we to make of, of this? What are we to make of, of this, little, this little incident, this little episode? I think this, that even those inexplicable things, those unforeseen things, those experiences of life that we didn't see coming, those, those things that are bigger than us, that are beyond us, that we can't understand, those things that we say, why is this happening to me? What is it that's going on? What is it that's, that, 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 that the Lord has got to show me in this experience? That these inexplicable, unforeseen things are vehicles and means by which our loving, caring friend takes occasion to come to us and comfort us and encourage us. I think before already I've read some sections from William Cooper's poem or William Cooper's um, uh, uh, hymn, um, Here's what it says. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. But here's, here's, here's so, so there's the picture of, of, uh, of, of the Lord planting his footsteps in the sea. But here's what Cooper um, encourages us to, 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 to realise. Ye fearful saints... Fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Now I know, right now, I know that, 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 that in the lives and experiences of many of you who are listening to me, that there are troubles and there are trials going on right now. And I know that there are others on their way ready to overtake us. And try as we might, we cannot outrun those troubles. Or, as the disciples might have been trying to do, outrow them. 
and seeing them and experiencing them, fear grips our hearts and we cry out. But then, from the very source of our anxiety, the Lord speaks. And he speaks with comforting words. He speaks with words which says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. The lesson for the disciples was that in the very thing that they feared coming upon them was their help and deliverance. That the Lord is in every fearful circumstance to do his people good. Can we get our heads around that? Can we see that? When our Saviour went to the cross for us, he took every vengeful blow, every punishing stroke, every damning judgment against us into his own soul and he bore it to the full extent so that it's gone. It's taken away. He carried it away. There is no more divine anger. There is no more judgment or wrath for us to fear. Now that's easy to say, right? But it's harder to believe. And the reality of our humanity is that it is nigh impossible to feel. Because like these disciples, we often fail to recognise the Saviour even though we have that experience of having seen him do so many miracles in our life and been so faithful to us even just a short time before. We forget the loaves when the wind is contrary, when our strength is sapped, and when something beyond our control is creeping up behind us. William Cooper continues, he says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. That's exactly what was happening here to the disciples. And let that be our takeaway from today. Let us hear the Lord's sweet words, despite the blast of wind in our face, despite the roar of the waves, and above the noise of our own fearful cries, let us hear the Lord's words, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Whatever our trouble, the Lord Jesus Christ is in it to bless our souls by it. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear. The Lord is in it. He is present. And soon it will be clear what blessings he means to give us by it. Brothers and sisters, the Lord will amaze us. We marvel at the mercy that brought God to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. We wonder at the love that took him to the cross to die in our place, to shed his blood for us. We're humbled by the grace that forgives, 
that justifies and that promises glory hereafter to us who are who are sinners and we will yet have cause to thank him for delivering us out of all our troubles and we will yet have cause and reason to praise him for his comfort and for his love in our troubles we shall experience his peace and his goodness far beyond all that we deserve. And we shall confess that it is all of his goodness and it is all of his grace. This Jesus who walked on water is our saviour and our friend and of such as these are the lessons he will teach us. May he do so today and all days of our pilgrimage in this world. Amen.